This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word. Go with me into the New Testament to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter number 5, and uh, we're going to read in just a moment, beginning in verse number, uh, verse number 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. As we come to this passage, we find that the Apostle Paul is writing to encourage this church, this church at Thessalonica. In fact, he has some wonderful things to say about this church. And uh, I, I think the church at Thessalonica, according to what we know about it, uh, is the kind of church that we would all like to be a part of. And, and the reason we believe that to be true, for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 7, Paul writing to these believers said, in verse 7, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, this word in sample is, is an older English word, and, and it literally has this idea of striking an object to make an impression, to leave an imprint, to make a mark. How many of you have heard about these ancient machines that people used to use called typewriters. Have you heard of those? And, and we get our word type from this Greek word that is used here for, and is translated in sample. And, and the idea is when you, when you strike the key on the typewriter, uh, there's a mechanism that moves and it strikes the paper. And when it strikes the paper, uh, that mechanism has what is called the type. And uh, that type uh, with ink on it uh, leaves an impression on that paper. And here's what Paul is saying about this church at Thessalonica. This is a type church. This is a, a, an exemplary church. This is a model church. It's a pattern. And, and he says that in, in, in verse 7. He says, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. In other words, uh, all of the believers throughout that region could look to the church at Thessalonica and say, that church is a pattern. It, it, is, it is a model uh, for how things should be in a church. Now, it's interesting to note that when he discusses the things that uh, would uh, help us gain an understanding of how they were a pattern he did not speak of one program in the church. He, he didn't speak of any programs that they offered. No, he spoke of the characteristic uh, that they possessed. And, and so we see 
Uh, look in verse number eight in chapter number one. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. He said, from you sounded out the word of the Lord. They were exemplary in their evangelism. Then look in verse number nine, chapter number one. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Here was a group of people who were steeped in idolatry and tradition, and when they heard the gospel and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they were saved, they were transformed. And so their testimony uh, was exemplary. And then in chapter two and verse number 13, we see something else. He says, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So another characteristic that is exemplary of this church is their faith and their conviction about the Bible. They believed in the scriptures that the Bible was the word of God. I want to tell you, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. If we don't have a conviction and a faith concerning the word of God, how will the world ever have that? Well, they won't. And so here's a church that they held a high regard of the scripture. And then in chapter 4 and verse number 9, look there with me if you would please. Chapter 4 and verse number 9 he gives another commendation to them. He says, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. So here's a church that, uh, where the people had a genuine love one for another. And Paul said they were an exemplary church, exemplary in evangelism, exemplary in their testimony, exemplary in their faith and conviction of the scriptures, exemplary in their love one for another. Doesn't that sound like the kind of church you want to be a part of? And I pray that that is the kind of church that you are a part of. And I pray that God would help us to be that type of church. Amen. They were a model church. They were a pattern church. And though they were a pattern church, I want you to know they were not a problem-free church. They were a pattern church, but they were not a problem-free church. In fact, no church is. As someone has said, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. Because as soon as you do, it will no longer be perfect. And uh, we, we certainly are far from being a perfect church here at Tabernacle. And uh, this church, though it was a pattern of uh, the kind of church you'd want to be a part of, it was not a problem-free church. They, they had the problems of suffering and trials. And Paul speaks to them about that. He also was concerned about the problem of immorality and temptation. And he speaks to them uh, about that problem. And then finally, as we come to chapter 5, we see he speaks about the potential of another problem. And that is people problems. People problems. I want to ask you, do you have any, by the way, it may not be wise at this point to raise your hand, but do you have people problems? This church had people problems. 
In fact, all churches have people problems. Uh, someone has said whenever you have people together, you're going to have problems. And uh, that certainly is true, isn't it? And the more people, the more problems. That's just the way it goes. Now, the fact of the matter is, not only do people produce problems, but without people, there's no potential. So you have to have people. But we just have to understand, as we have people, and we're serving the Lord together, then we're going to have problems. And we're going to have problems with people. Because people have problems. Now, we're pretty good at recognizing the problems of other people. But we're not so good at recognizing the problems that we ourselves have. In fact, most of you who have people problems are dealing mainly, the biggest people problem you have in your life is staring at you in the mirror every morning. Uh, we bring on the most trouble in our lives. Uh, we bring it on ourselves. And then there are problems that we encounter with other people. I, I had a friend who was a mentor to me, and he, he used to jokingly say to me, the ministry would be a breeze if it weren't for people. Well, the truth of the matter is, the ministry is people. And so it's not about being a breeze. It's about being a body. And we minister one to another. And so let's read what Paul has to say about these problems as he addresses the problem. But I'm thankful that not only does he address the problem, but he provides an answer for the problem. And so look with me, if you would, please. Chapter 5, let's look in verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So we understand he's speaking here to the believers, to the church, uh, concerning their relationship with those who are in spiritual leadership in the church. And then he goes into verse 14, and he's speaking to the same group. He's not speaking to the pastors particularly, although they are in the crowd. And they, this is true, certainly apply to them. But he is speaking to the congregation at large. And notice, if you would, in verse 14. And now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Here we find that Paul is going to address some people problems. And not only is he going to address those problems, he's going to provide the answer for them. Now we understand, as I said a moment ago, every church has people, and anytime you have people, you're going to have problems, even in the church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter number uh, 5, there was a problem there. And Acts chapter number 6, there was a problem there. Problems come and problems go. But problems can be dangerous if they're not dealt with and addressed, right? And uh, so uh, people problems often divide a church. And they often discourage uh, members of the church. And they often diminish 
the influence and the testimony of a church. And therefore, we need to uh, learn how to address these problems and deal with them and respond to them in a mature, Christ-like fashion. And so I, I pray that God will help us. Now, this is important to the Lord. You say, how do you know it's important to God? Because He writes it in His Word. And He's trying to help us deal practically with the day-to-day -day interactions that we have with one another. And so we're going to look at these answers that he gives us, these responses that he gives us, and, uh, he's going, and we're going to look together at the problems that typically arise among the congregation of God's people. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm always amazed how that uh, saved sinners who have a flesh nature can, can uh, sort of give themselves a pass for their behavior and conduct and attitudes, but not give one another a pass for their behavior and conduct. And, and you hear people say things like, well, you know, over at that church, and, and I can't believe the Christians and the people in that church would act that way and behave that way. Look, it shouldn't shock you. Though we are saved, though we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we have flesh, amen? And there is a battle that is going on between the flesh and the spirit. And whoever you yield to and whoever you feed, whatever nature you yield to, whatever nature you feed, that is going to be the dominant nature in your life. And we are not to feed the flesh. We are to neglect the flesh and we are to feed the spirit and yield to the spirit of God. And when we don't do that, and none of us do that as perfectly uh, as we should or as consistently as we should, when we don't do that, then the flesh sort of uh, rises a little bit to prominence in our lives and we begin to act in a way that is unseemly. And problems come. And people are shocked. It, it's sort of amusing. We have a Christian school, as everybody knows. And sometimes you'll hear parents say this, I can't believe those kids act that way in a Christian school. Well, I, 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 I'm telling you, the Christian school is no answer to everybody's problem, is it? Because do you know what populates the Christian school? It is not perfectly transformed and conformed to the image of Christ's kids. It is sinners who we pray that many are saved and hope that all will be saved, who are immature and growing and learning. And they're not going to act like perfect little Christians. And I would venture to guess that if we went inside the homes of all the people who said that, we would find the same type of things going on. And so people had this expectation that, you know, if we're going to have a church, if we're going to have a Christian school, everything and every action and every attitude ought to be conducted in a way that honors and glorifies Christ. Well, that certainly is the expectation, and that certainly is what we want to teach. But we certainly understand that's never going to happen fully until we get to heaven. And so we have to come to the reality that this is the world in which we live. And, and we thank God that we're saved and on our way to heaven. And we certainly don't want to be conformed to this world. We want to be conformed to the image of Christ. But we've got to understand that problems come. And so we learn to deal with it. 
If we don't deal with it, here's what happens. We withdraw and separate ourselves from God's people. And I've met people who do that. And uh, who, who, you know, uh, they, if any problem comes, they encounter any conflict or any difficulty, they want, to, they want to withdraw and find another group that is a little bit more perfect. And then guess what happens when they find that group? They become a little more imperfect, right? And so we need to learn these lessons so that our response is the proper and biblical response. And so we're dealing with people problems. Are you with me so far? Let's look at them. And he gives us five. Five different problems that are manifest in the lives of people. Uh, and so let, let's look at them again, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are, here's problem number one, unruly. Comfort, here's problem number two, the feeble-minded. Support, problem number three, the weak. Be patient, which implies to us that these are, there are people who, who grate, who frustrate, who, who weary us. That's why he's encouraging the saints to be patient toward all men and see that none render evil for evil. Here's the fifth problem, wickedness. So there are five problems that he deals with here. Uh, the wayward, and uh, we see that in, with the unruly. And then the feeble-minded, uh, that, that is the, the, um, the, the, the worrisome. I'll, I'll explain that in just a moment. And then the weak, and then uh, the wearisome, and then the wicked. So there are five different problems that uh, are, are caused and, 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 and uh, uh, increased through the interactions of people. And then there are five responses that he gives to uh, us in helping us learn to deal with these problems. So I want you to write these things down. Let's look at them together. Number one, here's how we're to respond by warn, or this is the response, warn the wayward. Warn the wayward. Look again, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren. Now this word exhort means uh, that uh, we're to come alongside and to help. Paul is saying to the people in the church, he's saying these problems are going to happen and when they happen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come alongside of them and I want you to help them. Our theme this year in our church is members of his body. And as a church, we need to understand that we all have a place in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that privilege of uh, being a member of his body, there is a great responsibility that we have. And there is also an accountability that we have. We are accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ and we are as, church, as a church family accountable to one another. And we're also responsible to act in a mature, Christ-like, spirit-filled, Bible-directed way as we interact with one another. And so Paul is saying to the people I'm exhorting you. I, I'm encouraging you. I want to come alongside of you. And I want to encourage you to come alongside those who are dealing with problems in their lives that oftentimes spill over into the fellowship of the church. And so here's the first one, warn the wayward. Notice the Bible says, 
unruly here in verse number 14. Brethren, warn them that are unruly. The word unruly means out of line, disorderly. There are those in the fellowship of the church family who become unruly. They, they are out of step uh, with the congregation. Uh, perhaps they're out of step uh, with the teachings uh, of the church or perhaps the standards uh, of the church, uh, the leadership of the church, the direction of the church, the ministries of the church, and, and so much more. Uh, they, they simply tend to, to drift uh, out of line. To, they're wayward. Uh, it's a military term that means uh, this, this soldier is not in step uh, with the rest of the soldiers. Uh, they're not marching in line the way that they should. Now, we are in a spiritual warfare. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches us. And we don't wrestle against people, flesh and blood, but we're in a spiritual conflict. And we have an army. God has an army. And this church is his army. And we are to march together. That doesn't mean we have to agree on every single issue. That is certainly not what I'm talking about here. But that means we agree even when we do have disagreements, we still agree together. And we understand what our purpose is. And we understand what it is we're trying to do. We're trying to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, reach our community, to preach and teach the truth of God's word. That's what we're here to do. And, and we all have to be pulling toward that common goal. But sometimes people get uh, out of line. Uh, they become wayward. They become, as the Bible says here, un. Ruly. Nobody can tell them what to do. Uh, they're not happy with uh, the direction. Uh, they're not happy uh, with uh, the way things are. And, and they themselves will not conform or unwilling to conform uh, to what the word of God has to say. And so they become wayward. They become unruly. Now this can happen two ways. Number one, it can happen passively. Passively. And, and that is just people who pull away, they withdraw, they refuse to participate. Uh, they're unwilling to sing. Uh, they're unwilling to give. They're unwilling to serve. They're, they're unwilling to attend. They just, they just get out of line. And they do it passively. It's not so much what they do, it's what they don't do. And uh, every church deals with that. And then... There are others who are active in their waywardness. Uh, they make it extremely obvious to all that they are unhappy, that they want to be out of line. Uh, people can become negative and uh, openly rebellious and often become uh, openly critical. And so Paul is dealing with this here. And, and what do you do when that happens? That's an important thing to know. And Paul tells us, he says, now we exhort you, brethren. In other words, he's not saying, well, this is what the pastor should do. I want you to understand that. This is what you should do as a Christian, as a believer, when you see somebody who is unruly. This is how you should respond to them. Notice what he says. Warn them. 
Now, this word warn literally means um, to talk some sense into them. You ever heard that expression? Would you go talk some sense into that person? I mean, that means to reason with them, right? I, I think about that when, when the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah, come now, let us reason together. Though your uh, sins are, are like scarlet, they, they should be white as snow, and the red like crimson, they should be like wool. Um, here's what the Lord said to the sinful. He said, I want to reason with you. I, I, I want to implore you. I, I want to speak to you. I, I want to have a conversation with you. And by the way, that is what this context is, that another believer uh, goes to the believer who is unruly and says, look, something's not right here. Something's out of line. This isn't correct. I love you. I'm your brother. I'm your sister. I'm your friend. And I want to be a help to you. And I want to tell you something. You need to understand the behavior, the unruliness, the waywardness that is happening in your life is leading you down a path that is very dangerous. Boy, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? That's uncomfortable. But that's what God has called us to do. Now, we don't come in a judgmental, harsh way. By the way, some of you are probably sitting there thinking about all the people you want to you warn right now. And if you got that attitude, that's not good either. That ought to be considered prayerfully and thoughtfully and lovingly. Because this, this warning that takes place, it, it is given not in a harsh fashion, but it is given in a caring, concerned tone. We have an illustration of it in 2 Thessalonians. Turn there with me, would you please? That's just a few pages over. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. And Paul speaking here uh, to the church at Thessalonica in a follow-up letter says in verse 6, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now, we don't withdraw at first. We warn at first. We warn. But we understand there are people who will, despite the warnings, go on in their unruliness, their, their waywardness. Now, we find that in this passage, uh, he's speaking about those who are actively out of line. They're not living a life consistent with the testimony of Jesus. Notice verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you. Here's this word disorderly or unruly, as we find it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. He says, they walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye brethren be not weary in well doing. And if any man obey not the word by this epistle note that man and have no company with him that he may, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy but admonish him as a brother. Here's what you're trying to do. You, you're trying to help the person who's out of line, come back in line. And you warn them, and you bear with them, and you love them, and you encourage them. And that is what Paul is speaking here. So when we deal with unruly people, wayward people, 
rebellious people. People who don't want to get in line. Then we need to warn them lovingly to help them and to encourage them. Here's the second one. Look again in verse number 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded. Now the word feeble-minded literally means this. It literally means small soul. Small soul. It doesn't mean they don't have a capacity to think. It doesn't mean they're not very smart. It means that they are fretful people. They're worried people. They're afraid people. And that's why he uses the word comfort here. Comfort the feeble-minded. They are people who have gotten very comfortable with the status quo. Any thought of change or any thought of taking a bold step of faith is a cause of concern for them. They might spend hours thinking about all the things which would go wrong or could go wrong if they were to take a bold step of faith, if there were any change in their life. They value safety and security above faith and courage. Much like those spies. You remember those spies, those 10 that went into the land and they said, boy, I know what these two are telling you. There's fruit there and it's, it's pretty nice. And yes, God promised it to us. And yes, that's where God wants us to be. But let me tell you, there's giants in the land and we can't beat them. We can't beat them. You see, that's the kind of guy these guys were. They were fretful. They were, they were worried. They, they were afraid. And their words, their words discouraged the nation. Do you know fretful, worried people can discourage the church family? And so what's the answer to that? Well, it's simply quite, uh, it's very quite, it's very simple. It is that we comfort them. That's how we're to respond. Now, this word comfort doesn't mean we, we give them a pillow and a nice place to sit. It means that we, on a one-on-one level, speak to them. The word comforting here has to do in particular with our speech. That means that we we understand that we have fellowship together and we converse one with another and we talk to one another. And so here's how we respond to them. We go to them and we kindly encourage them. If somebody's afraid, if somebody's worried about, well, you know, we can't do that and, and we can't change this and what's going to happen here and, and you know, they just, we, we want to stay right here in the center and we don't want to move too far because we're just very happy and content with where we are, the status quo, we like it. Look, if that's our attitude as a church, then we're not going to gain ground for God. We're not going to gain any ground. And God has called us to follow him. What did the Lord Jesus say to Peter? Launch out into the deep. And so how do we help these folks? We encourage them. How do we do it? On a one-on-one basis. Well, how do we do that? By speaking to them. By encouraging them. By praying with them. By building them up through the word of God. This is the ministry of the body. When one part of the body is weak, the other parts of the body compensate. And so we run to the aid of those who need a reassuring voice. You know, there are just some people who need to hear it's going to be okay. 
It's going to be okay. God is at work. God is leading. God has got control of this situation. It's going to be okay. We don't have to spend our nights, uh, you know, in fear and fret. We don't have to spend our, 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 our hours uh, of leisure worried about what's going to happen or could happen. We must trust God and learn to rest upon him and understand that what he is leading us to do, he will do it in and through us. And so how do we help those folks when those problems come? We comfort them. Then we notice the next one, verse 14. Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. So number three, support the weak. Now, Paul's not speaking about their physical condition. He is speaking about the condition of their soul. And the term weak deals here with a want of decision or firmness in life. There is a tendency to vacillate. There is a lack of discipline and steadiness in their lives. They're the kind of people... Uh, that are very difficult uh, to count on. They're just not firm. Uh, they, they'll tell you they're going to be there, but they don't make it. They, they tell you that they're going to serve, and you can count on them, but you can't. And, and, and they have good intentions, but they're not able to fulfill them. Uh, maybe they struggle uh, with lots of things. There's a, there's a weakness there. There's a propensity there to vacillate. They have a hard time making a decision and sticking with it. And we all deal with that at times, right? And so how do we help folks? We support them. The word support means literally to hold them up. If something is weak and about to fall, a structure, what do we do? We go in with some some nails and some wood, and we try to bolster that up. We, we try to hold it up. If we've got a tree that is growing in the wrong direction and we know it's not going to be healthy for that tree, what do we do? We tie a, a stake to the, to the uh, a rope to a stake and a rope to the tree, and we try to bend that tree back in line. We, we use some tension to support that tree and support that structure to get it in the direction it needs to go. And that's what he's saying here. We need to support the weak and encourage them. And then let me give you the fourth one. He says, be patient toward all men. Now, Paul here admonishes the believers to exercise patience with people as opposed to reacting in hasty anger and punishment with those who frustrate them. By the way, have you ever been frustrated with somebody? Just a few. You know, in churches sometimes and among Christians sometimes, rivalries develop, you know. Rivalries develop. And, and there's an unspoken tension. And, and people can, can frustrate us. They, they, they seemingly, uh, at least in our minds sometimes, they want to one-up us, you know, outdo us. Or anything we do, they have to do. I've heard people talk like that. I've talked like that. And you've talked like that. And we allow people to frustrate us. And there are people who are wearisome. Uh, and, 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 and we learn here that 
when we deal with wearisome, frustrating people, that we have to be patient with them. We have to exercise patience. Now, the word patience speaks of long-suffering, long-suffering. Now, that means we, we're patient with people. We, we endure some things. We, we put up with some things from people. You know, my wife and I used to joke about certain individuals. This is before we came to Tabernacle. Okay, let me, let me, let me say that right now. And, uh, you know, we're from the South, right? I don't mean to be offensive at all if you're from the North. So I hope you'll forgive me. I'm just trying to use a personal illustration. <clears throat> but we did have one friend in particular, and uh, uh, this person was a bit abrasive and, 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 and almost borderline rude, but was a Christian. And uh, we would look at ourselves and we would go, Yankee. My wife and I, Yankee. Yankee. There are people, by the way, up there who go, hillbilly. <laughs> Redneck, right? So we would sort of diagnose, we would, we, would, we would just excuse some of their behaviors because they were from a particular region of the United States. We just understood that. We accepted that. And see, uh, when you understand that, then you're able to be patient with people. Now, some people in this congregation quite possibly get on your last nerve. I doubt you would tell them that, but it's quite possibly it's true. And, and really, it's uncomfortable to talk about, but that may be the case. Or maybe there's just something about their personality. It's, it's like those two ends of the magnet that, that just repel each other. You know? It's just, it, you go together like uh, oil and vinegar. You know? Those things happen. There's just personality problems. And by the way, let me tell you, the root of all our people problems is one thing, sin. Sin. And the limitations of a fallen nature. And we need to understand that. And we deal with each other in a gracious way. And that requires that we are patient with people. People who weary us. People who frustrate us. Remember that our God is long-suffering. Aren't you glad? Psalm 86. Let me read verse 15 for you. Psalm 86. But thou, Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. And Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, speaking of his own conversion. And Paul said, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. The Bible said God is not slack concerning his promise, but he is long-suffering to all men. Let me tell you something. His patience does not wear thin. Ours does, but his doesn't. He is long-suffering. And he, as our Savior, as our Lord, as the source of our life, expects that we are going to learn to be long-suffering with one another. Go with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. 
Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 1. Paul is writing here uh, concerning our, our testimony, our, our life, our walk as Christians. The way we ought to live our lives. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness with long suffering forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You see if we're not long suffering if we're not forbearing then we're not endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And the flip side of that is division and, and diminishing testimonies of local New Testament churches. And so here we find we are to endure with the wearisome. Let me give you the last one, verse number 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Here's the last one, pardon the wicked. Pardon the wicked. Now we're learning about the problems and how to respond. We're to warn the wayward. We're to comfort the worried. We're to support the weak. <laughs> uh, we are to endure with the wearisome. And uh, we are to pardon the wicked. Now see what the Bible says in verse 15. See that none render evil for evil. You know we live in a world full of evil. Uh, that word evil there, it, 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 means, it means mean. It means wicked. And as I said a moment ago, though we have been redeemed and though we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, we also still have flesh. This house of flesh is but a prison. And, and, and Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul said, I want to do good, but I can't do it. And I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I keep finding myself doing it. Why? Because of the flesh. The flesh resisting the spirit. And sometimes that wickedness that is in us, it gets out. It gets out in our attitude. It gets out in our words. It gets out in our actions. We say mean things. We say hurtful things. We, we say things and, and we, we, we put a, a little clause on it and say, don't tell anybody I told you. Like that makes it okay. By the way, I'm as guilty as you. We are all guilty. And we can say mean, hurtful things. And we can do mean, hurtful things to one another. And man, when that happens to you, I mean, listen, it's one thing when it happens to somebody else. You know, I've got advice for everybody who's been hurt. But when I'm hurt, I don't want to hear anybody's advice. And that's the way you are. I mean, here, here these people have said something about my kids. That little kid hurt my kid. Boy, nothing will get your mm, fire burning as quickly as that, Right? Look out now, I got a new grandchild. <laughs> I'm telling you, friend, when it comes to us dealing with hurt, we don't want to process it the right way. Here's what we want to do. We want to get even. That's the way of the world, but that's not the way of the Spirit. Getting even is not the answer. So what's the answer? He says, 
that we are not to render. That means we are to withhold evil. That means we're not to recompense. We're not to try to repay them. We're not to try to get even with them. No, we're to pardon them. We're to pardon them. We're to pardon the wicked. And how can we do that? Well, first we live in the reality that Jesus pardoned us, amen? And that no one can offend and hurt me to the level and to the degree that I've offended and hurt Jesus but yet he's willing to pardon and to forgive. And that's why the Bible says I'm to forgive and pardon those who hurt me. And I'm not to render evil unto evil. If everybody's trying to settle the score, you're going to have total anarchy. Even the mafia knows that. And they're pretty good at settling the score. But we shouldn't have a mafia mentality. We should have a heavenly mentality. And so how do we do that? There's only one way. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So what is it that you and I need? Well, number one, we need to forgive. Somebody's, you got a problem with somebody? You need to forgive them. Maybe they haven't asked for forgiveness. That's okay. You can forgive them to the level that you don't hold on to it. That you don't allow it to destroy you. We need forgiveness and we need to forgive. And by the way, we need to seek God for that forgiveness when we hold on to that. And then we need to be filled. We need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's our problem, isn't it? Because when we're filled with self, we act like that. But when we're filled with Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost, then we act supernaturally. And what we need is not a natural church. We need a supernatural church. And what your kids need are not natural parents. They need supernatural parents filled with the Spirit of God. And what this community needs is not a natural church, but a supernatural church. That's an exemplary church, a pattern church that deals with the problems in a biblical fashion. And so we need to forgive and be forgiven. We need to be filled. And then he said, follow after that which is good. In Romans chapter 12, he tells us, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. You know what the devil's doing? When somebody treats you wrong, He's sitting there just waiting to see how you're going to respond. And he's hoping that you'll respond as wrongly as you were treated. And that you can be overcome with evil. You say, why is this, why is, why is this problem in my life? Why are these people in my life? I ask a dear friend of mine who's like a father to me a question like that one time. And this is what he told me. He said, they're there for you. And I said, thank you. That's what I needed to hear. They're there for you. And for you. And for us. How will we respond to people problems? That's the measure of what kind of church we really have.
Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.